Uh, let's begin today in Matthew 16. And this will be a little different Sunday school lesson than normal because I'm going to be looking to you for some answers to see what you say. And we're going to have class participation today. You're going to be afraid to talk, you know. After church, I see everyone talk. I know you're not afraid to talk. Now, in this portion of Scripture, uh, you have two great divides, and we'll talk about that very shortly. But this is Matthew 16, starting in verse 13. Now, you have to understand when you read this, you have to identify the subject of what's being said in, in these five or six scriptures. Verse 12, or let's start verse 13. When Jesus came in, into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, Some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? So the subject here is Jesus asking him, who do men say that I am? And the next verse here, now I, I'm going to say this because I, have been, I was brought up in the Roman Catholic Church. They believe that this is where Peter was ordained the pope, the first pope. Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, Son of, of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock, and this is where they get this, this whole theology, that Peter was the, the rock that the church was built on, the, the apostle, first pope, and all that. We're not going to deal with that, but he says, and also I say to you, you are Peter, and if you look at that word, that word means stone or small stone. On this rock, I will build my church. Now, the subject hasn't changed. The subject is, who do men say that I am? Not who are you, Peter, but who do men say that I am? So he's going to build his church, I believe, from the context upon himself, being the rock, the cornerstone, the chief cornerstone, as Peter says. Or he's going to build his church upon this confession that Jesus is the son of the living God. Now, this is the verse I want to look at today. And I want to show you this, and I hope that you, you, you get this. I hope that you see this. Because I can go to commentary after commentary after commentary, and you'll get different views of this verse. And mainly, they, they believe that this is dealing with power and authority and all that. And to some degree, it is. So Jesus says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. So the question is, what is this key that he's talking about? Now, if you'll remember that Jesus sent out the 70, and he says, I'll give you authority, I'll give you power, and they come back and they testify that even the, the demons were subject to us. And so, when you look at the Greek word here in this verse, verse 19, the word keys, that, I believe, is a noun, and even the, the verb form is not found in the verse where Jesus sends the disciples out, the 70 out. 
So the word key is used, this particular Greek word from verse 19 is used four times in Revelation. It's used two times in the gospel, and we'll look at one example. Uh, turn to Luke 11. Luke 11, verse 49. Therefore the wisdom of God also said, I will send them prophets and apostles, and some of them they will kill and persecute, that the blood of all the prophets which was shed from the foundation of the world may be required of this generation. From the blood of, of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who perished between the altar and the temple, yes, I say to you, this is Jesus speaking, it shall be required of this generation. So he's, he's speaking to the, some of the leaders here. Verse 52, he says, Woe to you, lawyers, where you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter yourselves, and those who are entering, and you hinder. So they were not, first of all, they were not interested in obeying the word of God, first of all. And second here, he says, Woe unto you, lords, for you have taken away, or you have removed the key of knowledge. See, the key of knowledge was locked, it was removed, because of their false view of the scriptures. So if you look at the basic meaning of the word key, now everybody knows what a key is. Everybody here probably has a key in their pocket. And what does a key do? It's put in a lock, it's turned, and it opens something or it closes something. The basic meaning of the word key. Now a low and neat lexicon gives this meaning, which I believe is more fitting for a lot of the New Testament, the verses we looked at, the two we looked at. It means the means of acquiring something. The means of the key to. So in this verse, it was the key of knowledge. The knowledge to be saved, you know, and whatever. The lawyers didn't use it. They didn't teach it. They didn't speak it. And he says the key of the knowledge was removed. They didn't have it. They didn't use it. Now, first of all, going back to Luke, let's look at Luke 24. There must be obedience in the heart of the individual, in the heart of the one that is to use or is going to use a key. In Luke 24, verse 49. Behold, I send the promise of the Father. This is Jesus speaking to the disciples. I send the promise of the Father upon you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until you've been endued with power from on high. And so we know that the disciples waited, and they went, we see in the book of Acts, they went into the upper room. And let's just turn real quick to Acts 2. He says, don't go out, don't do this, don't do that. He says, you tarry, you wait until you have been endued with power from on high. So in order for them to function in a certain way, they had to obey the word of, of the Lord, of Jesus. So we know that they went and they tarried in the upper room. In chapter 2, verse 11, this is after verse 4, they were filled with the Holy Spirit, began speaking with tongues. It says, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them speaking in our own language the wonderful works of God. They thought they were drunk and so on. 
In verse 14, Peter stands up and he begins to preach. Now I'll move down to verse 37. Now when they heard all that Peter had, had said and, and preached, they, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brothers, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the, the gift of the Holy Spirit. So I want to show you this. One more verse here. They first had to be obedient to the word, to, to Jesus, what Jesus said, to tarry. Secondly, they were, they were open in their hearts to receiving what the Lord had. And once that occurred, they, they went out from where they were and began to preach and to minister. And in verse 41, Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. So, the key for what we see in Acts 2 was obeying the Lord in tearing, in receiving, and in speaking when Peter got up and spoke. So they had the key that was going to unlock salvation for all those that heard Peter get up and speak. They had to do, they had to be obedient to the Lord in order for that to function correctly and to have the, the desired results. Many times there is a key contained in the scripture. Now, if you read the Bible, many times you will see, in English, for example, you would see a declarative sentence where, where there's a statement or a fact made. The Bible's full of that, where there are statements made, declarative. There are also scriptures that contain certain keys. And the key in the scripture will turn and unlock what is there in that verse. So that if the key is not used, then that which is in the verse, that which is said, remains locked. So Jesus said, I will give you the keys to the kingdom. But what keys? What I want to do, and I said this is going to be a very different Sunday school lesson, I want you to turn to these verses with me. And I want to see if you can identify the key in the verse, because this is very important. And I remember Charles Hahn mentioned this, and I, and I you know, kind of fouled. With certain things he said I fouled, and, and I, I didn't quite understand certain things he said, but... You know, later on, the Lord shows you, you understand certain things. And he said this, he said, if I could get the, a Christian, the Christians, the people, to read the Bible, I would say that I was very successful in my ministry. And I understand what he means. And I've said that down in the classroom downstairs in the Bible school, that if I could get the students to read the Bible correctly, I believe that I would be a success as a teacher. Because many, many people do not read the Bible correctly. And of course, you know, you need the Holy Spirit to, to help you. 
But I want to turn some, to some verses, and I want you to look at them. We're going to look at them together. We'll start off with an easy one, Deuteronomy 18. So in Acts 2, whenever we see the 3,000 respond, it was key for them to gladly, first of all, to gladly receive the word, and secondly, to continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. Very key. For them to grow. For them to grow. How many people today we've seen over the years have received the Lord, received Jesus? And that's about the end of it for them. There's no follow, following through. Uh, there's no continuing on. Uh, they don't seem to ever grow, or their, their growth is stunted because there are certain keys, certain things that they do not do. In Deuteronomy 18, no, I think that's the wrong verse. I think it's 28. It's a typo. Deuteronomy 28, verse 2, And all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you, because you obey the voice of the Lord your God. So what is the key in this verse for having the blessing and having the blessing overtake you? What's the key in that verse? What is it? Obey. Obey. Very easy to see, isn't it? Verse 15. But it shall come to pass, if you do not obey the voice of the Lord your God, to observe carefully all his commandments and his statutes, which I command you today, that all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. And the curse, the basic meaning of that is to, to lower a person to a lesser state. So what is the key here if, if a person is going to have the curses come upon him? What's the key in the verse? Disobedience. So it's very easy to see that. Now, let's go to 1 John. Now, I'm going to ask the group over here on this side of the church. You young, young guys and young girls, I want you to give me the answer to this. You too, Andy and Angel. We'll consider you the young ones too. Brian, James. 1 John 1... Seven, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another in the blood of Jesus Christ. His son cleanses us from all sin. So in this verse, what is the key to fellowship? Not you. <laughs> you young ones. What's the key to fellowship in verse 7? What's that? Walk in the light. So there is no fellowship without that key. Now, I know that Christians and churches call fellowship getting together. But according to the Bible, to have fellowship with someone, you have to walk in the light and they have to be walking in the light. That's where true fellowship is. So fellowship, the key to that is that you and myself walk in the light. So 
I don't care what anybody says. I don't care what a commentator says. I don't care what the church's views are. I'll stick to the Bible. And John says, the one who walked close and fellowship with the Lord, he says that fellowship wasn't the apostles gathering together. Now, that can be true. But he says, true fellowship is walking in the light. So the key to that, the key that will unlock fellowship, the, the way you do that is you walk in the light, and when you walk in the light, you're putting the key in the lock, and you're turning that. See, Jesus has given us the keys to the kingdom. The key to fellowship is walking in the light. Turn to Romans 8. Now, we're going to go through quite a few verses here, because I, I want you to see this, so that when you sit down and you read the Bible... Hopefully, this is going to help you to see. Maybe, maybe you'll start to see. This will open up for you. Say, oh, I see the key here in this verse. And see, the key does not depend on the Lord many times. The key depends upon the individual Christian. Here's the keys to the kingdom here. Now, you put the key in there and you turn it. See, the Lord's not going to, to force you to walk in the light. You must do it. So that's a key you must use. The Lord's not going to twist your arm and say, no, you have to use no, no. You and I have to use the keys. You must identify them, and you must be obedient and, and walk with the Lord and obey what, what the Lord is showing you to unlock what is there. In Romans 8... Okay, we're going to ask the same group over here. Somebody different than Brian's going to answer. Verse 13. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the, of the body, you will live. So what is the key to spiritual life in that verse? Who said that? Okay. Anybody else want to say anything? What's that? What's it say in the verse? I want, I want you to give me something from the verse. Put to death the deeds of the body, your desires, what your flesh wants. See, so the key here to the life that Jesus is talking about is to put to death the deeds of the body. Verse 17. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. So what's the key to being glorified together with Jesus in verse 17? Somebody over here want to answer? Suffering with him in whatever way that may be. It may, you know, suffering can be in many different ways. You know, suffer what you want, suffer your will, suffer doing what you want, going where you want to go. So to be glorified together with him or to have a portion of the glory of God deposited in you will re require to turn a key. Now that means that whatever comes, you say amen to, because you don't want to pick your suffering. 
you, know, you, you suffer the loss of your will in a situation. Well, when you do that, you're turning a key, and it opens up something else here. It opens up that you may be glorified together with him. Okay, 2 Corinthians. I always tell the students when I give them reading assignments, I say, don't speed read. Take your time and read slow. Because if you go through one of these verses and you read them real fast, you will miss maybe a key thing that is involved in maybe three or four verses. You know, people should meditate in the word. That means you read a verse or two and stop and look. Think about it. Give the Holy Spirit some time to reveal his word to you. In 2 Corinthians 4, verse 10 and 11. Always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For, for we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So what is the key to Jesus being manifested in our mortal flesh? The dying of Jesus, or our being, is the context, our being in jeopardy. You know, Paul was in jeopardy. He suffered according to the will of God as being a Christian, not an unbeliever. So... The life of Jesus, and this is probably speaking about uh, the resurrection life that we are to be walking in, will be manifest. Okay, now let's go down to verse 17. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. So what is the key... For this light affliction that you may be in, I may be in, or some Christian may be in, what is the key for it to work this eternal weight of glory into them? What is the key? I know you want to answer, Jim. <laughs> I can see your lips moving. What? Right, it's the next verse. See, that's why you need to read. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. So, this is not an automatic thing. There's many things in the scriptures that are not automatic. Certain things must be fulfilled. Or in the context of what we're looking at today, certain keys must be taken and they enter into the lock and then it's turned. So, for the light affliction to work a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory, or let's just make it simpler. For the light affliction to work a weight of glory, it does that as the key is inserted, which is, while we do not look at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So our view, spiritually speaking, what we see must change. 
So if we are looking, any Christian, if they're looking at the things which are seen, if, we're, if they're focusing upon uh, the temporary, then this eternal weight of glory for them is not functioning, is not working, because the key is, as it says, looking at that, that which is not seen, that which is eternal. Now, you may say, well, this is, is simple, but it's not. It, it's simple if the Lord opens your eyes to it. It's easy when you see it, first of all, to say, well, I see it. But it may not be so easy to obey and do what is there to do, to turn the key. Now, in 2 Corinthians 3, let's go back a chapter. Are you understanding what I'm trying to show you? Second Corinthians 3:18. But we all with unveiled face beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. So what is the key to being transformed into the image of Jesus? Now, how many here want to be Christ-like? You can raise your hand. I assume that's why you're here. You want to be maybe more Christ-like than you've been. So that means that you must be transformed into his image from glory to glory. So wanting that is good. But the actual process of, of it will depend on what in this verse? What is the key in this verse? Somebody, does everybody hear that? Somebody over here. Tell me what's the key in that verse, verse 18. That's one step, yes. Yes, beholding. And see, that's something that is taught in the spirit where in your, in your spirit or in your heart, you are beholding Jesus. Now, when that occurs, and that is a, not a temporary thing, but this is a thing that functions in your heart, in your life, where you are beholding him. It doesn't matter where you are. I mean, most people, when they come to church, they, they want to behold the Lord. But when they go to the job, they're not beholding the Lord. They're beholding their boss, they're, you know, all this other stuff that goes on. But it can be an internal thing where you can be at work, you can be doing anything. It doesn't matter what you're doing. And your heart is beholding the Lord. So when your heart is beholding the Lord, that is the key for the transformation in our lives. Well, there's other things involved too, like our obedience, like I said earlier. But that's a key, beholding Him, and that is going to unlock something here that now the Lord can change us, he can transform us, he can transfigure us into his image to some degree, from glory to glory. You will go from one weight of glory to another weight of glory. But the key is not the Lord, if you know what I'm saying. The key is there that you use. You use it. You have to insert it. You have to put it in there. You have to turn it. Galatians 5, verse 18. 
what is the key? Now, this, is, this verse is very in- interesting, and I think that we know it when we read it, but many Christians don't function in it the way that is with many verses. But what is the key in verse 18 for not being under the law? Being led of the Spirit, see? Do you hear that? Listen. If you are led of the Spirit, if is a subjunctive mood verb. That means it's possible. It's not a sure thing. If you, you, anyone, are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. But if a Christian is not led by the Spirit then they're going to be under the law whether they're a Christian or not. They're going to be doing things to fulfill the law. You know, do this because, you know, not because I love the Lord, but because I have to. So this, there's a key here, and that is being led of the Spirit. If you are led of the Spirit, that's a key that's inserted and turned, and that, that means that you will not be under the law. Very simple. Very straightforward. Verse 24. Now, I just went through the, the different books, and I was sitting there reading here, here and there, and as I would run into the, these um, verses, I would jot them down. But there, there's a lot of them. There's a lot of them where there's keys that are very important. Verse 24. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So in this verse, who are Christ? Those who are saved. What's Paul saying? Those who are Christ, really his, have done what? Have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Chapter 6. Verse 8, now this verse, we know this verse, verse 8 and 9. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not be weary in, in, in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. So in this verse, how does one reap? Spirit life. How do you reap spirit life? Very easy, isn't it? Are you starting to see this? So now when you read your Bible, hopefully, you'll be looking. Matthew 13. No, just skip that one. Let's go to Romans 12. This is a more familiar verse. Romans 12, verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So how do you approve what is the perfect will of God? See, people want to know, what's the will of God? What's the will of God for my life? Well, what's the key in this verse? Being conformed, being transformed by the renewing of your mind. 
See, so that is the key to really proving the will of God, to understanding the will of God. So that if that process is not at work in my life, where I am being conformed and transformed, then I can guess what the will of God is. I can say, well, I may have, or you may say, a Christian may say, I have this particular talent, so this must be the will of God. Like I heard somebody say recently that related to their job that they had found their purpose because of what they were doing in the secular world. Well, you can't actually see, uh, you can't actually view that and see that correctly unless the key is turned here being conformed and being transformed, because that will open up your eyes to see things for what they are. Okay, Ephesians. Now, in the Bible, in particular the uh, Gospels, and with Paul, you see Ephesians 5. You see certain kingdom principles. Jesus talks about them. Uh, Paul talks about kingdom principles. And there are certain keys that are necessary in functioning in kingdom principles. For example, we read in Galatians 6 where it talks about you reap what you sow. So the key is here, that's a kingdom principle, that you will reap what you sow. Spiritual law, kingdom principle, however you want to say that. The key here is that you sow certain things. See, you can, you can sow something that isn't too good, and you turn that key, and the result is going to be something evil, something of ruin, destruction. So the key works that way also. But mainly, we're looking at you putting in a key, and you're going to turn that, and that's going to bring a result that's seen in the scriptures. So the kingdom principle, for example, uh, to make others rich, you must become poor, Jesus said. Or another way to say it is you empty yourself, as it says in uh, Philippians 2. Um, if you want to save your life spiritually, you must lose your earthly life, your desires, your will, and all that. See, those are kingdom principles. So to, to find your life, Jesus says, you must lose your life. That's the key. That's the key for the Christian. That key must be inserted. He must do that. She must do that. Individually. You must lose your life. What you want. Your desires. Your will. What you think things should be. You lose all that. And you turn the key. And now you find this life here that Jesus talks about and say, wow, that is really something. That is really good. That is far beyond what I ever thought it could be. Now in Ephesians 5, this is a verse that we're familiar with. Verse 27, that he, Jesus, might present her, the church, to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, 
but that she should be holy. So what is the key here for Jesus to present her to himself? There's a key. Yes. Yes, it's, it's found in the previous verse, verse 26, that he, Jesus, might sanctify, and, and, and I'm going to, maybe I should do this on the board. I'll just say it. The phrase here, he might sanctify, is a subjunctive mood verb, and that means it's not a sure thing, it's, it's a possibility of that. that he, now, we know that Jesus is going to present himself a church, without spot or wrinkle. But not all may be a part of that. That's why it's in the realm of possibility. This is the Greek verb. That's what the Greek verb says. That he, and that's why you see the English word might. It doesn't say that he will, because not, not all Christians are interested in the Lord, and that's, testify, you could testify, they testify to that in the way they live. You know, they go to church maybe, but the rest of the week they may live like the devil. They may say all the right cliche words, you know, Christian words. Then you get them in a group, and they're, they're screaming and swearing and taking the Lord's name in vain, just like the people in the world. So he says here, that the key here is that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word that he might present her, subjunctive mood verb, to himself, a glorious church. What defines the bride of Christ in this verse? And this goes back to some of the verses we just read. What defines the bride of Christ here is that she is a glorious church, which means that the glory of God, to some degree, must be in her. Now, that doesn't mean that, that if people go their own way and they do their own thing, that they won't go to heaven. I'm not talking about heaven. You know, you can go to heaven and be excluded from certain things. People, certain people will be excluded from certain things because of the way they live. Not everything in heaven's for everybody. Now, that's what the church preaches, but that's not what the Bible says. That he might present her. So the key here is the sanctification. The, the key here is the cleansing. The key here is that, verse, 20, verse 27, but that she should be holy and without blemish. There's the keys. The key being that I must allow the Lord to work in my life. That I might allow Him to do and to... Uh, Maybe change certain things in my heart so that I may walk with him a certain way. So that's the key for me. That's the key for you. So that it opens up this door of possibility, meaning the, being the bride of Christ. Let's go to 1 Corinthians. And then we'll look at one last verse. 1 Corinthians 3. 
It's going to take me longer than I thought to explain this verse. <laughs> we'll read them anyway. If anyone's work which he has built on endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved. So there is a key here uh, as far as a person's work. And the key is found actually in verse 13. And I'll tell you the Greek verbs here real quick. Each one's work will become clear. For the day will declare it. Because, and I'll read this from the, the Greek, the Greek uh, rendering of this, because it is being revealed by fire. Now, I know that your translation, my translation says, because it will be. It will be. But this is a present tense verb. Pre will be is not present tense. It will be is future. Will, it will be. I, I will meet you somewhere. That's future. That's not what the Greek verb says. The Greek verb says it's present tense, which would be because it is being presently revealed by fire. So the key here is as the fire comes and it begins to reveal the work that we agree with the Lord. That we agree with Him what is going on in the work. Because there are people that are in certain things that they probably shouldn't be because it's not the will of God for them. So that's something different. But anyway, in closing, let's go back to the verse we started at. Matthew 16. Matthew 16, verse 19. Is everybody there? And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, or the kingdom of God. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now, if you look at this, some translations, for example, if I remember correctly, it's the Amplified, has it in reverse. Um, New American Standard might be another one. They have it in reverse. Whatever is bound in heaven then is bound on the earth. But that, that's not what it really says if you actually look at it. You look at the, the Greek. From what I can see, it's meaning what it's saying here in most of the translations, that what you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Now, this is related to the key. See, we're not changing the subject. This is in the same verse. Now, right away, people were thinking, okay, that means you know, demonic spirits and all that, and that, that may be applicable. But as far as the context there in the verse, it's talking about the keys. It's related to the keys. So the way you do it here on earth, whatever you bind on earth, oh, I'm going to put this key in, Lord, because you showed me, and I'm going to turn that key. Whatever you bind there, whatever you do, however you turn it, however that, that is here on earth is the way it's going to be later. However that's functioning here now, the result is going to be the same later. It's not going to change. So if you're not using certain keys, then later on, 
the result of that will be seen. It's going to, it's bound, it's the way it is, it can't be changed. It's changed right there when you insert the key or you don't insert the key. You insert the key, you turn it, whatever's bound, uh, how's he say it? Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, be bound later. Whatever you loose on earth, however that functions, it'll be loosed in heaven. And so, for you and I, as we read the scriptures, it's very, very important not to just read them and, and have a theological understanding so we think, and we say, oh, well, this means this, or I'll go to the commentary and we'll look at that, and now this means this. What is the best commentary ever written? The best commentary of the Bible is the Bible. Scripture compared to Scripture is the best commentary. And for you and I to read the Bible correctly, we must read it, allow the Lord to show us and teach us, and allow Him to identify whether the verse is some declarative thing or whether there is a key there in the verse above that verse or the verse below in the context. Because that key will either unlock certain spiritual things for you in your life or the lack of using that key will keep things bound. It'll keep, it will keep them locked so that you cannot... Uh, have the result that's seen in that verse. Now, some I remember years ago, you know, the, there was a, a wave throughout the church. I don't mean here. I mean in general, universally. That you read the verse, and you can take it, and you can confess it, and you can claim it. Well, that may be true for some verses, but there are many, many verses that demand a key... And the Greek subjunctive mood verb, the verb of potentiality and the verb of possibility, is throughout the New Testament. Many, many, many verses have that verb there. So if it's in the realm of possibility, it doesn't necessarily mean it's a sure thing. You understand? There is a key there, is what I'm trying to tell you. There's a key there that will unlock a spiritual thing there for you. So I hope that whenever you begin to read your Bible, that you take your time and you read it and allow the Lord to, to show you if there's a key involved in the verse. Thank you.